is another edition of the KCSU Sports Podcast. I'm Jonathan Gillum, and we're going to have a special guest on today. We're going to talk about controversies in sports and how athletes tend to be treated different. This whole conversation brings up an interesting question. Do athletes get away with other stuff that other, say, an average person like myself wouldn't get away with? I've gone over lots of uh, different pieces and I've kind of compiled together kind of a list of questions for our special guest today. And also, this isn't me going after athletes in particular. I just think um, I wanted to go into a couple controversial topics into sports, and I think this is one of them. I think this is something that is happening time and time again, and we haven't really addressed it. I absolutely love everything about sports. I love playing them, I love talking about them, and I love watching them. And I'm going to admit, from personal experience, I think sometimes my love for the game makes me biased towards the game. And I ignore controversies. I ignore certain things, especially when it's on my own team. Come on, when Aqib Talib allegedly shot himself in the leg or he got shot in the leg and at that time everyone was unsure what really happened and it turns out most likely he shot himself in the leg um, nothing happened and, and I'm gonna admit at that time I was happy because I didn't want to keep sleep to get suspended he's on my team it's, it's it's and I think it's a little different too I think if it was a backup I wouldn't really yeah you know it wouldn't be as big of deal if he got suspended but when your starting player gets suspended you know say you're a Lakers fan you don't want LeBron James to get suspended at least I don't but now I feel like you know if Aqib Talib did do something wrong he, he should have he should have got punished if I shot myself in the leg I, I don't know quite what would happen it depends on where it was at but if I shot myself in a nightclub I, I kind of think that, well, I might get charged with something. Uh, I'm, of course, not a police officer or a lawyer, so I don't know the law, but I, I there's got to be some kind of law out there for uh, bringing a firearm into an establishment and then firing it off. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure. And if not judicially, well, I, I think if I was a nightclub owner, I would probably ban that person for life to not come into my establishment if I was the owner. You know, these are, of course, my opinions. Some people, you know, it might not be as big a deal too. But let's just say, so let's just say with my scenario, it just seems like that I think I would probably get banned, but Aqib Talib wouldn't because he's Aqib Talib. Moreover, there seems to be a different treatment of athletes. There are multiple pieces of evidence, some which we will get into, of how athletes are dealt with not only through the judicial system, but through organizations as well. Our guest on this podcast will weigh on this issue. He has his PhD from the University of Notre Dame, worked 30 plus years as a full-time professor of sociology and continues to work part-time while researching and lecturing. He specializes in sociology of sports topics and he has many publication. One well-known publication is Sports and Society, Issues and Controversy with a 13th edition. Please welcome University of Colorado, Colorado Springs, Dr. Jay Coakley. Dr. Coakley, how are you? 
Pretty good. Thanks, John. It's good to be with you. Yeah, it's it's really, really great to have you on. I'm really excited. Um, I Time is valuable and we appreciate your time. So let's jump right into our topic. Um, so Dr. Coakley, our first question, there seems to be an athlete gaze. How we punish and treat athletes and sports affiliates tends to be different than the rest of society. For example, I love my Denver Broncos and John Elway. However, John Elway has been caught on multiple occasions for drunk driving and charges are typically minimal and the organization typically just gives him a slap on the wrist. Another example can be the Penn State sex scandal. Furthermore, Harvard wrote a piece on a multi-league study where 64 reported allegation, only seven were punished by their league and two by their team. Dr. Coakley, you have written several pieces on deviance in sports. Why do you think the reason is athletes tend to get away with these crimes that the average citizen does not? Well, I think you're right that there is an athlete gaze. We look at athletes a little bit differently. In fact, we look at people in sports a little bit differently. And I think your examples are are indicative of that because John Elway is no longer an athlete and the Penn State issue involved coaches. And so when we're talking about, uh, in a sense, getting away with deviance, we're not just talking about athletes. We're talking about coaches who, in some cases, have, have gotten away with things that I, as a teacher, for example, would never get away with if I dealt with my students in the same way that coaches dealt with athletes. Uh, now, athletes oftentimes get away with certain kinds of behaviors that, that the rest of us would be punished for because we leave it up to the sport leagues to handle the discipline. And sport leagues obviously have a vested interest in maintaining this image that everything is clean and good with respect to their sport and their organization and their teams. So policing by sport leagues has always been a failure. I mean, that's an inside thing. There's all sorts of vested interests there. So uh, to the extent that we let the leagues police athletes, they're always going to get away with things that other people wouldn't. And, and on the other side of things, once the police get involved, athletes are celebrities. And celebrity always muddies the water when it comes to law enforcement. And, and part of the reason for that is that we know celebrities apart from a deviant act or an, an action that, that's got them into trouble. So, so the extent to which we know them in that other capacity oftentimes balances out what we know about them in this specific instance. And, and so people give the athlete a break because they know other things about the athlete. So, and that's true with juries too. Uh, you know, it's, it's, the jury is, is, knows much more about the athlete than what's being presented in a trial. And they can't ignore that information. So oftentimes they won't convict an athlete, uh, even though the evidence presented at the trial would, would lead you to suspect they would, because they have all this other information about the athlete that kind of balances out this deviant act. That is, uh, that's that's fascinating. Great insight on there. It kind of answered half of my next question, I think. I'm kind of just going to go into it and slightly alter it because I wanted to talk specifically about domestic violence. 
domestic violence seems to happen a lot with not, you know, athletes and their sports affiliates. I know New York Times writer Bethany Withers wrote a 2015 article and she wrote, new domestic violence is an obvious indicator for violence tendencies when there is not conclusive evidence that professional football players are more likely to commit violence against women. There is evidence that they are not punished by the league teams or the criminal justice system as harshly or consistently as a member of the public. And you talked about kind of how we view athletes, Dr. Copley, but why do you think like such a serious issue of domestic violence gets overlooked? Is there another root to the problem? Well, I think part of the root is that uh, this is a jurisdictional issue. And to the extent that the police allow the leagues or expect the leagues to take care of things, the the response to domestic violence isn't going to be the same as it would be for for you and me if if we were charged with it so mm. uh the league has a vested interest in perpetuating this clean image they they certainly don't want to alienate female fans but on the other hand uh they they want to in a sense whitewash the athlete and uh, when it comes to domestic violence, one of the other things that I think influences uh, the response to an athlete being accused of this is that oftentimes women are seen as either groupies or gold diggers when it comes to athletes. And, and people are suspicious because of gender biases within our culture. They're suspicious of, of women who uh, make themselves available to athletes, even in the case of, of wives and, and live-in girlfriends and so on. So uh, I think that oftentimes people, uh, when they look at a domestic violence situation, they wonder what the woman did to bring this on herself. And, and then one of the other issues in terms of the, the prosecution of these cases is that uh, women oftentimes withdraw their charges because uh, they they are involved in this relationship. Uh, they have plenty of access to resources and some of the the uh, the, the halo effect that that comes with being with an athlete, and they don't want to give that up. So you know it's a complex issue, and and I think that to the extent they're not going to do a good job. And even when it gets to court, there's going to be issues that, that muddy the waters. Mm -hmm. That is very insightful. So let's kind of move forward to the next question. So Dr. Cookley, you have written on the great sports myth. In your 2015 piece, you wrote, the, the purity and goodness of the sport is transmitted to those who participate in or consume it, and the sport is inevitable, leads to the individual and community development. And what are your thoughts on the great sportsmith and the connection to the deviant actions of players? Yeah, I think this is, is, is an important point. And the great sport myth is, is a term that I developed because over the years, as I've worked in the sociology of sport, I've come across this belief that sport builds character uh, without any qualifications. And people feel that sport is essentially pure and good and anybody who participates in it is gonna share in that purity and goodness. And, and that belief 
uh, interferes with viewing athletes and coaches and medical doctors uh, who've been accused of all sorts of things uh, in connection with their their relationships with young athletes in in cases that we've heard about over the past couple of years. So uh, the great sport myth gives athletes and people associated with sport uh, a, a get out of jail card free. Uh, and and it leads to it leads the rest of us to see the the deviance that's engaged in by athletes as a singular event put into this context of purity and goodness and that athletes are actually uh, not represented by this single singular event that that we have to look at an athlete in broader terms and people f feel that sport, participation basically purifies people. It, it creates good character. And uh, that's, that's something that I've been trying to uh, get people to think critically about because obviously uh, sport participation doesn't work magic. Uh, you know, it, we, we hear some athletes talk about uh, the fact that sport has enabled them to uh, escape all sorts of problems in their lives and that may be the case in in individual situations here and there but sport does not automatically purify people so mm -hmm. that's you know that's something that we have to take into account uh, yeah it's like you're saying it's a two-way street we're kind of looking at the one way but it goes both ways kind of wouldn't you say that um, right, and and the other the other issue here is that it's hard to condemn an athlete for being violent on Monday when you've cheered for that athlete's violence on Sunday. <laughs> that is, <laughs> that's a great you know, point. Uh, yeah. Most people most people can make that distinction, but but mm -hmm. a number of people can't, and they you know they they see an athlete uh, as being. Uh, this person who is rewarded for uh, violent action in, in certain sports, not in all sports, but uh, violent action on the field. And, uh, and they have a hard time coming down hard on that athlete if they engage in some kind of uh, deviant violence off the field. So uh, that's, that's another issue. And, and that comes into play if, if you're on a jury, you know, 10 people may be able to make that distinction, but if two can't, then there's not a conviction. So it's very difficult to convict an athlete of certain kinds of violence. I read your, I read your piece on positive deviance and that athletes tend to conform to sport ethic and not to make like a false comparison, but do you think that kind of in the same way athletes conform to sport ethic, that fans and owners maybe conform to like a winning, this demand for winning works in a way for the fans and owners in a way we want to see and pay for that winning so much that we overlook player transgressions? Yeah, I think that that there is a culture that comes along with sports and, and for athletes, one of the most important things in their lives is to have their athlete identity affirmed by other athletes. And, and in a sense, spectators, by the way, can't do that. I mean, the spectators can idolize athletes and, uh, 
and that's all well and good, but the athlete looks to other athletes for reaffirmation of, of their primary identity. And, and that identity is, is affirmed to the extent that athletes conform to the sport ethic, which is basically a set of norms that uh, emphasize that athletes have to be dedicated to the game above all else. They have to strive for distinction and, and in a sense, conform to the Olympic motto of Altius, uh, Sidious, Fortius, higher, stronger, faster. Athletes accept risk and play through pain, and athletes don't accept any obstacles in their pursuit of success. In other words, they are, are pursuing the dream, so to speak. And, and if you don't qualify conformity to those norms, if you just accept them uncritically, there's a tendency to over conform to them, to go too far. And oftentimes uh, that, that deviant over conformity is not defined as deviance by most people, including coaches and, and other athletes. And so athletes in a sense, are engaged in behavior, are engaging in behaviors that uh, if they engaged in them uh, on the streets or if other people engaged them in them on the streets, they would be defined as deviant. But in the case of athletes, we accept that deviant over conformity because it contributes to winning, which gets to your point. And, uh, and we know that athletes have to push the limits of those norms in order to uh, in order to win and uh, and those norms by the way are good i mean i've i've taught my kids those norms uh you know that you have to be dedicated you don't want to let things interfere with and if, and if you know you experience a little pain you got to work through it and so on but uh, but when you don't when you don't set limits then you run into trouble and and that can turn the culture of a team into kind of an isolated uh, island with it within the general culture. And, and the, the players start to see themselves as being separate from the rest of the community. And that the rest of the community doesn't really understand what they're all about and what the expectations for athletes are. And once you have that separation between the athlete and the rest of the community, then you open up the door for, for deviant underconformity, what we normally think of, of deviance, where if athletes don't respect, uh, for example, women or other people in the community, then uh, because those people don't understand the athletes and what they're all about, then we're looking for trouble. Uh, you know, you can end up with bar fights, with street fights, with people challenging athletes and, and athletes responding in kind. So, uh, so the sport ethic is an important thing to know about if we want to understand the culture of sport and sport teams. That is, that is a very insightful. I, I appreciate those answers. They're very interesting. Uh, so I have one more question because I, I know time is valuable. Um, 
Dr. Coakley, what do you think? Well, this I know this kind of seems like maybe a wicked problem that it's very complicated, but what do you think in your opinion that society can do to improve the current situation? Yeah, I don't I don't know if society can do anything, but I I certainly think that coaches and athletic departments and sport leagues can do things. And and one of the things that that some of the research shows is that if athletes are are given specific training on self-control, on respect for themselves and for others, on humility, on social responsibility, that, that they're much more likely to make a distinction between what goes on on the field and what goes on in the rest of their lives. And, uh, and if they get that kind of training in connection with their sport involvement, they're much less likely to engage in deviance off the field. So, so that's one issue. Uh, and then we should never let sports organizations be the judge and the jury when it comes to uh, responding to deviant actions on the part of athletes. Uh, that, that's, it, it doesn't work with the IOC, it doesn't work with the NFL, and it doesn't work with the NCAA. So uh, there's all sorts of vested interests, as I've pointed out, and and, and sport leagues are never going to be a good judge and jury. So uh, that's, that's another issue. And I think we have to raise questions about the great sport myth, uh, that, that uh, athletes are not automatically pure and good because they participate in sport. And we have to understand that, that the kinds of learning that occur within a context within the context of sport participation depends on how sports are organized and we have to figure out what are the ways that we can organize sports and this is true from little league all the way uh, through the professional level you know what are the ways that sport teams coach athlete relationships and sport leagues can be organized so that athletes are learning the right things basically dr coakley great stuff honestly I, I feel like i just leveled up in in knowledge right there i really appreciate these uh, insightful and informative information just for anybody in the audience that is interested in more information on sports controversies and sociology dr coakley where might they find more information about that well, I, I think you can go to the, the North American Society for the Sociology of Sport. They have a great, a great blog called Engaging in Sports or Engaging Sports. And, and that blog oftentimes deals with timely issues of the day and it's experts from around the world who, who are studying sports from a social, sociological perspective and that's good information so that's one possibility you know i'll just i'll just leave it at, at going to the website for the north american society for the sociology of sport and look at engaging sports which is a blog on timely issues excellent well dr coakley it's been a pleasure really great interview i feel like it was i learned so much and I really uh, appreciate you taking the time and providing all this awesome information for our listeners and for me. And I, I want to thank you again, and I hope you have a really great weekend. Thank you. It's been good to talk with you, Jonathan. 
Once again, that was Dr. Jay Coakley of the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs. Now I just want to take the time to thank all of our listeners. We appreciate you. For the KCSU Sports Department, I'm Jonathan Gillum. I'll catch you next time.